0: A huge day in news. President Trump making a very gutsy call on Israel and Jerusalem. Al Franken finally looks like he's on his way out the door. And serious controversy still brewing over Roy Moore in Alabama with Steve Bannon and the Excrable getting involved. I'll explain. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> So as always of late, the news is just coming out of the fire hose, and there is almost no way to imbibe enough of it to really stay abreast of it. There's so much news breaking so quickly. President Trump about to make a major announcement on Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Long overdue, at least decades overdue. So that's a great thing. Plus, Al Franken on his way out, I will explain why that's happening. Did Democrats suddenly discover principle? Not really, but does that accuse Republicans for having abandoned principle? Well, not really. And speaking of that, we'll talk about Roy Moore and the latest from down south. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Helix Sleep. So as I have said many times, I am not good at sleep. Great at lots of things. Not good at sleep. Or at least I wasn't until I got a Helix Sleep mattress. The way it works over at Helix Sleep is they actually customize a mattress for you. You go over to their website at helixsleep.com/ben and you take a quiz and it gives you a profile. You know, how much do you weigh? How? Is, what's your body shape? Do you like to sleep on your side or your back? Do you like to sleep on your stomach? Do you want the mattress to be breathable or firm? You know, all the different settings. And then they send it to you in the mail. You open the box. It's a foam mattress when you unwrap it. It just inflates right in front of you, and it's ready to go. It's such a nice mattress that we took a much more expensive mattress from our room, and we actually put it in the other room so that we could use our Helix Sleep Mattress. My wife absolutely adores this mattress. Everyone who tries it likes it. And here's the good news. If you're one of the few who doesn't, well, you don't lose anything because you can try it for 100 nights and if you don't love it, they will pick it up and refund you in full. The mattress arrives direct to your door and a week's shipping is completely free. Go to helixsleep.com slash Ben right now. helixsleep.com slash Ben. They'll get 50 bucks toward your custom mattress. at helixsleep.com slash Ben for 50 bucks off your order. Again, helixsleep.com slash Ben and it's less expensive than other mattresses because you're getting it online anyway. So it's pretty great. So you get 50 bucks off. Again, helixsleep.com slash Ben for 50 bucks off. Okay, so... We begin with President Trump making a major announcement. It's supposed to happen in about 45 minutes here. It's supposed to happen at 10 a.m., and that is an uh, an amazing thing. He's supposed to, the rumor is, not just announce that the United States' view now officially is that Jerusalem is the eternal capital of Israel, but also that he is going to move the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. This is a great and brave thing to do, and I'm going to give you a multiplicity of reasons why this is a great and brave thing to do by President Trump. And not something, frankly, that I expected from President Trump. I, I Maybe the statement about Jerusalem being Israel's capital, because lots of presidents have said similar stuff, but not the statement about moving the embassy, because that's always been politically dicey. So the law is, and it has been since 1995, Congress passed a law, and they passed it overwhelmingly, that, that said that Israel's capital was Jerusalem and that it should remain undivided. That law was passed 93 to 5 in the Senate and 374 to 37 in the House in 1995. For years, the president has been waiving that law. Bush did it, Clinton did it, Obama did it. None of them would actually build the embassy because they supposedly didn't want to undercut the peace process, but really what it was about is they they wanted to cater to and surrender to the whims of the Palestinian Authority, a terrorist group, as well as other Muslim nations that were propping up that terrorist group. This was stupid policy. So let's begin with the facts, okay? Jerusalem is, was, and will be the eternal capital of Israel. Jerusalem is only important. The only reason you've heard of it, the only reason anyone cares about it is because the Jews made it important. Okay, that is literally the only reason. Otherwise, it's just another city in the Middle East. It was both the capital of the kingdom of Israel and the site of the temple. It was the wellspring of Judaic thought for literally millennia. Okay, when I pray three times a day, Jerusalem is mentioned frequently in those prayers. Both Christianity and Islam value Jerusalem because Judaism did first. The dream of Jerusalem has animated the Jewish people for its entire existence. The most famous case being in Psalms 137, where it says, if I forget thee, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. Jerusalem is mentioned literally hundreds of times in what we call Tanakh, that would be the Old Testament, so that includes the Torah, as well as the prophets and the writings. The only reason that it's not mentioned specifically in the five books of Moses is because at that time it was actually two cities, one called Yeru and the other called Shalem, and then it was put together into Yerushalayim, right? It became one city, sort of like Buda and Pesht became Budapest. In any case, it's always been the center uh, of Judaic thinking. It's always been the holiest spot in Judaism. Jerusalem, by contrast, is not mentioned one single time anywhere in the Quran. If Jews don't have a claim to Jerusalem, and this is the the root of why Muslims want to declare that Jews don't have a claim. Also, it's the root of why the papacy has been really split on Jerusalem. There there have been popes who have been pro the idea of Jewish sovereignty in Jerusalem, and then the current pope says that it should be internationalized, which is just insipid, uh, because if you have Muslim rule over Jerusalem, that means nobody else gets to come in. And again, Jewish sovereignty over a Jewish holy site seems like the basic, the basic notion is just moral, especially since Jews have maintained the holy sites of both Muslims and Christians in Jerusalem. If Jews don't have a claim to Jerusalem, they don't have a claim to anything. They have a claim to nothing. If they don't have a claim to Jerusalem, there's no claim to Tel Aviv, there's no claim to Haifa, there's no claim to Yaffa, Yaffa, there's no claim to Akko, there's no claim to any other city in Israel if you don't have a claim to Jerusalem. Okay, that's fact number one. And Trump is recognizing an established fact on the ground. Number two, as I say, Congress has long recognized Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Not just in 1995. This year. Because you're seeing a bunch of Senate Democrats now, oh, how dare Trump. How terrible for President Trump to say this, how could President Trump, he's going to lead to a conflagration. Well, that's not what you jerks were saying literally six months ago. In June, there was a resolution that was passed on the floor of the Senate. It was passed 90 to nothing, zero dissenting votes, 90 to nothing saying that Israel's remain, its, its eternal capital is Jerusalem and it should remain undivided. Okay third point, recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital recognizes Israeli sovereignty. okay, Israel gets to negotiate on its own behalf. It's not up to the United States or any other foreign nation to negotiate on Israel's behalf with regard to its own capital. To understand how important this is imagine that Foreign bodies came in and told the United States that we had to give up Washington, D.C. Now imagine that Washington, D.C. wasn't just a city that was built on a swamp so that we didn't have to build it inside a state. It had been divinely ordained by God for the American people. Okay, that's how important Jerusalem is to the Jews. It is the basis of all Judaic thought and all Judaic history. And people who are saying they're going to force Israel into making these concessions, it's immoral. Okay, Israel gets to make a call on its own. Okay, recognizing Jerusalem as Israel's capital will minimize violence. You're hearing a lot of myths today from the left. Oh, look at it. Violence. Terrorism is coming. First of all, the Palestinian Authority is, was, and always will be a terrorist entity. Hamas, is, was, will be a terrorist entity. Islamic Jihad, is, was, will be a terrorist entity. All of the people threatening violence today were anti-Semites yesterday, they will be anti-Semites tomorrow, they were terrorists yesterday, and they will be terrorists tomorrow. If it's a day ending in Y, the Palestinian Authority is interested in murdering Jews in terror attacks. The same is true, of course, of Hamas. The idea that Jerusalem is the sticking point in negotiations is just not true. One thing that will happen by recognizing Israel's sovereignty over Jerusalem is that the Palestinians may lose hope that they can pry Jerusalem from Israel by pressuring the United States or pressuring the West through terror attack. Maybe they'll finally recognize reality and they'll recognize this is just not going to be part of the negotiations. Okay. Fifth, the United States should not be bullied by terrorists, period, anywhere, all over the world. The idea that the United States ever signed off on the Oslo Accords is ridiculous. Israel never should have either. The idea that you're going to be blackmailed by people, that they were going to say to you, you know, if you just give us land, then we'll stop murdering your children. Blackmail used to be a violation of both domestic and international law. Then it was made into the centerpiece of American foreign policy in the Middle East for 20 years and the centerpiece of Israel-Palestinian policy for 25 years. It never worked. Oslo is a full-scale disaster because it turns out the person who's trying to blackmail you wants the money. Okay, they don't want to turn back over the, the, degra- the, the degrading material. If somebody steals the porn off your computer, and then they want to blackmail you because they have the porn on your computer, their goal is not to give you back the porn on your computer. Their goal is to continue getting money out of you. Okay, Oslo was always a blackmail deal. Ending that blackmail deal is good for the United States. It's not caving to terrorism. Also, as I say, recognizing reality makes peace more possible. So a big underdeveloped piece of news that came out last week is that the Saudi monarchy reportedly summoned Palestinian leadership and told them to support a peace deal with the Israelis. Not only that, that deal would retain major Israeli settlement blocks, prevent the establishment of a standing Palestinian army, and leave the PA without Jerusalem as a Palestinian capital. In other words, the Saudis knew about this already. Everybody who's claiming, all oh, the Saudis are so mad. The Saudis are not mad. The Saudis knew about this. They were paving the way about this. Jared Kushner over at the White House, I'm sure, was talking to Saudi Arabia. You know, two weeks ago, people were saying, he's kowtowing to the Saudis. Now they're saying, he's stabbing the Saudis in the back. Is it possible that maybe he was talking with the Saudis? Is it possible that the new anti-Iranian alliance, Jordan, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, Israel, that that alliance is strengthened by this status being clarified? That we can finally get this issue off the table? Then now... That this is clear, that the United States recognizes the truth that Jerusalem is Israel's capital, that Saudi Arabia and Jordan and Egypt are just going to have to accept it if they want this alliance against the Iranians. As I say, this also means continuing the anti-Iranian alliance and forwarding the anti-Iranian alliance. Right In 1991, during the Gulf War, George H.W. Bush faced a choice. Israel was hit by Scud missiles by Saddam Hussein, and Israel wanted to join the coalition to topple Saddam Hussein, and the, or at least to push Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait. And H.W. said to the Israelis, don't get involved because you'll fracture our coalition. It was a bad move. H.W. should have said, sure, get involved. And then he should have said to the Saudis, you don't like it? Well, then fine, deal with it yourself. You don't like Israel being on your side? That's your problem. He could have forced a peace through mutual assurance. He could have forced a peace through mutual recognition of common interests. And that's exactly what's happening in the aftermath of Iran. Okay, so I wanted to lay out all of those reasons to show you that what Trump is doing here is not just moral, it is also smart also want to point out here that all of the talk about how this recognition is going to cause violence, violence in Jerusalem has long predated any of these negotiations. I'm going to give you a brief history of Jerusalem here, so you have more information today than you did yesterday. Okay? In 1929, before there was an Israel, before there was Jewish sovereignty over Jerusalem, before there was Arab sovereignty over Jerusalem, it was British Mandate Palestine, right? It was the British running Jerusalem, and there were riots in Jerusalem. By Arabs, against Jews, 17 people were killed. Why? Because Jews had the temerity to bring chairs to the Wailing Wall, to the Western Wall, the second holiest site in Judaism. The holiest site in Judaism is the Temple Mount. Jews are still not allowed up on the Temple Mount because the Dome of the Rock is up there and the Muslims run it. So Jews will allow Muslims into Jewish areas, but Muslims will never allow Jews into Jewish areas, which is why Jews should run the place and not Muslims. Okay, but in 1929, before any of this was an issue, before any of it existed, right, at that time... The Jews just wanted to bring chairs for the elderly and infirm to the Western Wall, so Arabs rioted and killed 17 people. Then they rioted in Hebron, in Hebron, and they killed 60 more Jews. There's a report from the British. Here's what it described. Quote, Arabs in Hebron made a most ferocious attack on the Jewish ghetto and on isolated Jewish houses lying outside the crowded quarters of the town. More than 60 Jews, including many women and children, were murdered. More than 50 were wounded. Okay, fast forward to 1948. So Israel accepts the deal, the partition deal, from the UN. The UN was going to partition Jerusalem. It was going to divide Jerusalem. Instead, the Arabs blockaded Jerusalem, cut off all the roads, and tried to basically put the Jews in Jerusalem, the largest, most Jewish city in Israel, under siege. The Israelis, at the cost of thousands of lives, finally broke through. But East Jerusalem remained in Arab hands, in Muslim hands. And not only that, so did the Western Wall, so did the Temple Mount. So, was everything peaceful? Was everything fine when the Arabs were running it? The answer was no, of course, because in 1964, while the Arabs were still running East Jerusalem and Jordan had sovereignty over East Jerusalem, the Palestine Liberation Organization was formed. That would later become the Palestinian Authority. That was Yasser Arafat's group. In 1964, their stated goal, the full destruction of the state of Israel from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. That was their slogan. Okay, that was while they were running Jerusalem. So anyone who says that Jerusalem is the sticking point, Jerusalem is not the sticking point. In 1967, Israel finally takes over East Jerusalem and frees East Jerusalem. By the way, when I say freeze, I mean that the Arab parts of East Jerusalem are still run like an Arab dictatorship, even though Israel has sovereignty. When I visited Israel in in 2001, this middle of the Second Intifada, when we came out in East Jerusalem, I had to be guarded by Israeli soldiers, If you're a Jew walking through East Jerusalem, Arab East Jerusalem, your life is in danger. If you're an Arab, a Muslim walking through West Jerusalem, no problems at all. Because that's the way tyranny versus democracy works. By the way, Israel handed back control of the Temple Mount to the Islamic Waqf, which is a huge miscalculation. Jews are still not allowed to pray on the Temple Mount. If I went there and tried to pray, I'd be arrested. In 1993, Israel agreed to negotiate with the terrorist Palestinian authority, including over Jerusalem. What happened? Massive uptick in terror. In 2000, at the Camp David summit... Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Barak of the Israeli Labor Party offered Palestinian terrorist Yasser Arafat control over East Jerusalem and the Temple Mount itself, according to Bill Clinton. Arafat didn't even submit a counteroffer. He left the table and he started the second intifada, resulting in the murder of over 700 Jews. I was in Israel when the Spiral Pizzeria was bombed, and I remember walking past the ruins of the pizzeria in the center of Jerusalem. All of that after Israel had offered East Jerusalem to the Palestinians. In 2008, Israeli Prime Minister Ehud Olmert offered a new Palestinian terrorist dictator Mahmoud Abbas international control of Jerusalem's old city, which would include the holy sites. Not only that, he also offered some of Israeli land to make up for the Israeli settlements that had been built and an Israeli land strip that would connect the Gaza Strip to Judea and Samaria. Abbas turned it down without a counteroffer and then launched another round of violence in coordination with Hamas and Gaza. So all of this talk about how it's just Jerusalem That if if, if we we were to solidify the status of Jerusalem, this would cause violence? No, Jerusalem is an excuse for violence. And if Jerusalem were in Arab hands, there would still be violence, because there was when it was in Arab hands. Okay, so now you have all the background that you need on this particular topic. So don't believe any of the mythology. Trump is making a moral move and a politically smart move and a politically valuable move for American policy in the Middle East. Okay, so now I want to move to another topic. That topic, of course, is Democrats. So Democrats have now decided that Al Franken has to go. It's actually kind of an amazing thing, right? They're now saying that seven senators, I believe, have come out in the last hour and said that Al Franken needs to go. Why? Because there was a new allegation with regard to, with regard to Al Franken. There was an aide who said that he tried to force himself on her. They he tried to kiss her. And then when she refused, then, she, then, then he said, I'm an entertainer and I'm owed this. He denies this allegation. It doesn't matter. Democrats have decided to throw him under the bus. They're mostly throwing him under the bus because they want to push Republicans into a corner with regard to Roy Moore. They want to say, we have the moral high ground. You guys are backing Roy Moore still. You don't have the moral high ground. Are Democrats really being honest about this? Are Democrats really, do they really care that Al Franken sexually abuses people? Not really. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, like two seconds ago, was saying that, that he didn't have to resign. I'll show you in just a second. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Stamps.com. So Stamps.com is helping you save time this holiday season. It's a great way for you to not have to go to the post office. You can like the post office. The post office is great. But if you don't want to go stand in line at the post office, you want to be able to sit at your desk, print all your postage, you know, weigh your packages, never have to go out and leave your desk, save time before the holidays then stamps.com is made for you. They bring all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips tips. We use it here at Daily Wire. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer and printer, and then the mailman comes and picks it up. They'll even send you a digital scale automatically calculating exact postage for you, and they'll help you decide the best class of mail, too. I use stamps.com because it saves us time and it saves us money. Right now, you can enjoy the stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Shapiro. That's stamps.com, Shapiro, and you get, again, that four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale, no long-term commitments. Go check it out and save yourself some time. So Kirsten Gillibrand today says Al Franken has to go. The senator has to leave. That's not what she was saying literally yesterday. Here she was talking yesterday. I believe the women. I believe that what they said happened, happened. And I think there is a reckoning, and I think there needs to be accountability, and it needs to happen now. Is that a guess. <laughs> I'm telling you, I am so angry and frustrated, and I'm not going to say that today. Okay. But it is something that I'm very troubled about. Okay, so now, of course, she says that Franklin should step down. So yesterday, yeah on the franken stepping down now of course she wants franken gone and this of course is because she and other democrats are trying to seize the moral high ground with regard to roy moore they're saying republicans will back anybody up to and including an alleged child molester but we won't support al franken they waited you'll notice until two days or the day after the rnc jumped back in on the roy moore issue right they waited until the day after and then they say okay we'll dump franken over the side so this is a politically motivated but doesn't mean it's wrong doesn't mean it's immoral but it is politically motivated, and to ignore that is just foolish. You can see how politically motivated it is when you, look at, when you look at another topic, right? And that topic, of course, is John Conyers. So John Conyers said yesterday that he was going to retire. He, he said he was retiring effective immediately, and then he recommended that his son take over for him. So here's John Conyers. For the record, for those who may not have understood or heard what you said, is that you're very confident in your legacy. You are today, at this time, at this moment, in this period, uh, preparing for your retirement, a date in which you are not prepared to announce? Uh, Yes, I I, I thank you for helping me get this into focus, putting my retirement plans together, and I will have more about that uh, very soon. And uh, I want everyone to know how much I appreciate the support that Undiminished support I've received across the years. Okay, so Conyers uh, says that he was retiring yesterday. You notice that the radio host actually has to prod him to retire, right? He forgot on this phone call that he should retire because he's a senile old bat. Um, but he also says that he wants his son to fill in for him. So let me tell you a little bit about his son. Okay, th- this just shows you the political fiefdoms that exist. So when Democrats say, "Oh, we're punishing Conyers, or we're punishing Franken." Listen again. It's moral that these guys should go. I don't think Roy Moore should sit in the Senate. Right? I, I'm, this is not a matter of I, I. I'm using this as what aboutism. I think Moore should go. I think Franken should go. I think Conyers should go. But you do have to recognize the political motivations that are at play here. John Conyers is leaving, but he's leaving his son in charge. Okay, or he wants to. His son is John Conyers the third. John Conyers the third is a 27 year old guy who has literally done nothing. Like I literally don't know what he does for a living. No one knows what he does for a living. Also, he came out. He's a big defender of his dad. Saying that his dad, originally he said that his father was completely clean. He said, it's unfortunate to see him fight so long for so many people and to automatically have the allegations assumed to be true. Unfortunately, there's also this tape of John Conyers III, who will be your new congressperson from the city of Detroit, rapping about how his father was a player. i a living boy, I'm trying to make history. So picture me letting the news nitpick at me. I get running around like a jitiny. Gave my mama 37 months at that sentencing. <laughs> Well, I guess it's grind time. So don't I don't have no regrets in the hindsight. And trying to Isn't that cultural appropriation of wearing that hat? In any case, uh, John Conyers III, your new congressperson. And this just shows you that politics for so many Americans has become a fiefdom. Right? It's not a punishment for John Conyers to step down, Henry II to step down and hand his crown over to his son, Richard the Lionheart. Right? That's not actually a thing. And what I love about this is that there's actually an internecine battle that's happening right now, right? So Conyers III wants to take over the seat, but so does his, so does John Conyers' grand nephew. So Conyers III wants to fight his own nephew for the seat. I assume that, given the way that history works, John Conyers III will eventually take his nephew, throw him in the Tower of London, and have him killed, a la Richard III. But that's the way these fiefdoms work. John Conyers sat in the House for years because we, because. There's this tendency to believe, and it's very disturbing, there's this tendency to believe that our politicians are not our representatives. They don't represent us. They're our lords and ladies of the manor. They have their own fiefdoms. John Conyers has his own fiefdom. Right? In 2006, he was investigated by the House for, using, for telling three staffers to basically be his personal servants and babysitters and then forcing them to work on state and local campaigns. He won 85% of the vote in his district that year. Okay, a couple of years later, his wife, Queen, Queen Monica, right, King Conyers and Queen Monica, she served on the Detroit City Council, and she was convicted of bribery. She spent three years in jail. Okay, Conyers himself was involved in this. He reversed his position on the project that she was bribed to, to get through. And Conyers won 77% of the vote in that election cycle. <clears throat> and now he's turning over his seat to his son. So this is how we think of our politicians. They're not, they don't represent us, so, You know, we don't have to worry about whether they provide a good face for our politics. All they do is what we want them to do. And as long as they protect us, as long as they protect us from invading nobles, then we are happy to pay them an extra share of our harvest. That's basically the way we see people like John Conyers. And this holds true on both sides of the aisle. This is why I think that so many people seem untroubled by all the Roy Moore stuff. They've decided in their heads that Roy Moore is a fine guy, not because they actually think he's a fine guy, but they feel like, well, he's the lord of the manor. So, you know, he was taking his droit to senor with, with, uh, with a bunch of 16-year-old girls. But, you know, so long as he protects my values, so long as he protects what I want, is that really a big deal? Democrats, as I say, are using this logic in order to tear down Republicans, uh, and they're doing it quite successfully. Republicans, by the way, are tearing themselves down pretty successfully on this one. They took the worst possible position. They abandoned more, and then they rushed back to more just in time for this election cycle after Trump endorsed him. And in doing so, they re-embraced all of the worst things about Roy Moore. And so you can see the Democrats are trying to run a We Are the The Great Clean Party campaign. This is their new thing. I'll show you that in a second. And I'll show you why the Republicans are running right into the teeth of it, and it's going to cause them serious political harm. First, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Skillshare. So Skillshare is a way for you to make your resume deeper and better. It's a way for you to ensure that when you come up for a raise, your bosses say absolutely as opposed to losing you because you're constantly growing your skill set. That's what Skillshare does. They have over 3 million members, more than 17,000 classes. It is the Netflix for online learning. You can take classes in graphic design, social media marketing, digital illustration, and more. They're taught by industry experts, the Skillshare classes, experienced professionals. It's perfect if you're looking to build your career or start the side hustle of your dreams, I've taken both their watercolor class, which has deepened my emotions, and also made me a better painter. But more importantly, I've been taking their social media marketing and SEO classes, which has helped us out over here at Daily Wire. Skillshare is giving my listeners a one-month free trial of unlimited access to over 17,000 classes. Go to Skillshare.com/ Shapiro to start that free month today. Skillshare.com/ Shapiro to start that free month today. Go and check it out. Once you start learning, you're not going to want to stop. Skillshare.com/ Shapiro. Make that resume better. Make more money create a better career for yourself. That's what Skillshare is for. Skillshare.com slash Shapiro. Okay, so so Doug Jones is jumping on the We Are Clean bandwagon. Uh, this, is, this is his campaign now. It's his entire campaign because he can't win based on his politics. He's a Democrat in a state that's 66% Republican. Here is Doug Jones, the Democratic candidate in Alabama. I believe women are every bit as capable as men that they deserve to be an elected to public office. I believe they deserve equal pay for equal work and I and I damn sure believe that I have done my part to ensure that men who hurt little girls should go to jail and not the United States Senate. Okay, so this is going to be his campaign. In order for them to make this campaign credible, they had to get rid of Franken. It appears that's now their move to get rid of Franken in the days leading up to more. And then if the Republicans elect more, they say, well, that's because Republicans are bags." Unfortunately, Republicans are falling right into the teeth of this by actually being bags. So that's not helpful. And by bags, I don't mean people who are going to vote for more. As I've said, I think there are a lot of people voting for more because they think he's the second worst choice. I think there are a lot of people voting for more because they think he'll be expelled in the Senate. But if you are saying that Roy Moore is an honorable, decent human being in the aftermath of these allegations, all I would say is that there's not a lot of evidence to prove any of that. There's not a lot of evidence. Now, this is leading some Republicans to immediately virtue signal to the furthest possible extent. Jeff Flake is one of those. Jeff Flake, of course, is the Republican senator from Arizona. Yesterday, he tweeted out, country over party. And he got what he wanted, at 171,000 likes on this tweet. Uh, and it says, Doug Jones for U.S. And he tweeted out a picture of a check he sent to Doug Jones, $100, and said country over party in the subject line. And then he signed it, Jeff Flake. You don't have to give money to the Democrat in order to oppose everyone. Okay, I oppose Doug Jones' policies. I oppose Roy Moore. I've said stay home or write somebody in. Don't vote for Roy Moore. But Republicans feel the necessity in order to alleviate their own sense of, of, cosmi- of cognitive dissonance and guilt, as I mentioned yesterday, they feel the necessity to fully embrace Roy Moore. And leading the way is the avatar of, of Republican Satanism. That, of course, is Steve Bannon. So as I've said before, I know Steve really well. I try not to talk about Steve because I know Steve really well. And I think Steve is one of the worst people I've ever met. Um, and Steve is making that clear in Alabama. So he's doing this whole, I'm a populist shtick. Okay, Steve is a Goldman Sachs guy. Okay, he's a Goldman Sachs guy, went to Harvard Business School, and he walks around dressed like a homeless man so that he can pretend that he's actually in touch with the blue-collar grassroots feel of the United States. He jumped in the Moore race really late and then claimed credit for Moore's primary victory. Then he disappeared while all the controversy happened, and now he's re-emerging only after the RNC has re So, that's your courageous Steve Bannon. But Bannon didn't just stop there. Yesterday at a rally, he decided to slam Mitt Romney. So as we discussed yesterday, Mitt Romney may be one of the most honorable people ever to run for president of the United States. Romney came out and said, you shouldn't back Moore. Moore is an alleged child molester, a credibly alleged child molester. Okay, Steve Bannon took the opportunity to bash Mitt Romney and say that Roy Moore is a better human than Mitt Romney. Right, a guy who's trolling food courts, allegedly, for 15-year-olds when he was 33. He's a better person than Mitt Romney, a guy who's been married to his high school sweetheart, has led the cleanest life of anyone imaginable in the history of American politics. And that guy's a bad guy because we have to back Roy Moore. This is why I say that, that Bannon is just an avatar. He's like the, in, in, the, in the image, uh, in the cartoon— you know, where you have the, the cartoon character and you have the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other. I'm not sure who the angel on the shoulder is for Republicans, but I know who the devil on the shoulder is, and that guy's Steve Bannon. So the, the devil on the shoulder, Steve Bannon, starts ripping into Mitt Romney while dressed like a derelict homeless person who just got his clothes from the Salvation Army, talking about how, how Roy Moore is a quality human being as opposed to Romney, who's a leech, a Mormon leech. That's basically what he says. George Moore served his country in one of the toughest wars we've ever had. Vietnam, mid, that's honor and integrity. The ran for Commander G had five sons, not one day of service, in Afghanistan and Iraq. We have 7,000 dead and 52,000 casualties. And where were the Romneys during those wars? Yeah. Okay, so there's, there's Bannon doing his man of the people shtick. The Romney sons didn't serve in Iraq. We'll play more of it in a second. The Romney sons didn't serve in Iraq. Okay, if we're going to hold, if this is the standard for honor and integrity, you know who else didn't serve in Iraq? Any of Trump's sons. You know who didn't serve in Vietnam? Trump. If we're going to go down this road, you know, Romney got a deferment because he was Mormon, so he went on mission. And his sons went on mission, too. The idea that you have to serve in the military in order to be honorable, if that's the case, Donald Trump had five separate deferments from Vietnam, including four for college and one for bad feet. Okay, but, but I don't see Bannon ripping on, on him that way. And I, I seem to recall Bannon being totally fine with, Ron, with, uh, with Trump smacking around John McCain on his war service. I don't remember Bannon being particularly uh, upset about that. But then it gets even worse. Then Bannon decides to, go, to say that, that Moore has more honor than the entire Romney family. Bring it down here to Alabama. He says that, that Roy Moore, first of all, Bannon is, is just a terrible speaker. But beyond that, he also, when he says that, he, what he said there, it's hard to hear, is that Roy Moore has more honor and integrity in his little finger than, than Mitt Romney's family has in their entire DNA. Just gross. Just gross. I'll tell you one thing Mitt Romney has not been credibly accused of. Taking a 14-year-old girl home and trying to, and trying to get him inside her panties. That's something that Mitt Romney has never been credibly accused of or taking a 16-year-old girl into his car when he was in his 30s and attempting to grope her breasts and grab her by the genitals. But but this is, you know, if if the Republicans want to embrace the dark side, there there is no better way to do this than that. So as I say, it is a Democratic manipulation for them to suggest that they are clean in all of this, but they are grabbing the moral high ground because it's almost impossible for them to grab the moral low ground away from a Republican Party that is doing the band-in routine. Again, you can vote for more and not do the band-in routine, but there are too many Republicans who are doing the band-in routine that is going to have some serious blowback. There's the reluctantly supporting Moore crowd, and then there's the Bannon crowd. And the Bannon crowd is going to do severe damage to the Republican brand, but Bannon doesn't care, because all Bannon cares about is his own image as a, as a populist firebrand, even though he's been an irrelevant con man for most of his career until he leached on to Donald Trump and after leaching on to Andrew Breitbart and Breitbart's death. Okay, so now I want to talk a little bit about the, about the Trump investigation and the latest on the Trump investigation. So... Right now, uh, there there was a report yesterday that bank records had been subpoenaed from Donald Trump. It turns out this was another false report from the media. So you always have to wait for 24 hours to find out what the media's reporting is true and what they're reporting is false about President Trump. White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders on Tuesday disputed reports that special counsel Robert Mueller had subpoenaed President Trump's bank records. She said, we confirmed that the news reports that the special counsel had subpoenaed financial reports related to the president are completely false. No subpoena has been issued or received. We have confirmed this with the bank and other sources. I think this is another example of the media going too far and too fast, and we don't see it going in that direction. So all of the talk about how Trump was being subpoenaed and his financial records were on the line, that turns out not to be true. So that's a part of the investigation that has not yet developed. Meanwhile, there's the the rumor out there from CNN that President, the Vice President Pence is going to be brought in to talk with the FBI. According to CNN, new revelations about Michael Flynn's lies to the FBI are laying bare Vice President Mike Pence's in-the-dark strategy when it comes to Russia's election meddling, raising new questions about whether he could have been left in the dark, as he has argued for nearly a year. Advisors have long insisted that Pence was unaware Flynn spoke to then-Russian ambassador to the U.S. Sergey Kislyak about a new set of U.S. sanctions on the day they were announced last December. But court filings unsealed last week paired with new details about President Trump's own knowledge of events indicate a wide circle of advisors were aware that Flynn raised the issue when he spoke by phone to Moscow's envoy, even as Pence reportedly remained in the dark. Well, Pence was not even in town when any of this happened. I mean, there, there was a political report talking about where Pence was at the time. Pence was apparently back in Indiana this entire time. So the idea that Pence was sitting on top of Mike Flynn for these phone calls, uh, it, there, there's not a lot of evidence to support that. The reason that the the media want to get Pence is because now they have to get an active member of the administration. Vice President Pence is one of the more powerful vice presidents in recent memory in terms of helping direct policy inside the White House. And if they get Pence, the suggestion is going to be, how could Pence know and Trump not? So they're trying to make the case that moves up the chain. There's not a lot of evidence to support that as of yet. Most of this looks a lot like speculation. So uh, let's not get out over our skis. Uh, I think people are, are out over their skis in the media on all of this. So With all of that said, uh, there is now breaking news that President Obama is speaking out again. So this is exciting. Uh, President Obama just continues to talk and talk and talk. Uh, Apparently, he issued a stark warning about growing nativism in the U.S. and throughout the world at the Economic Club of Chicago, invoking complacency and the rise of Hitler. Oh, yes. Now we're all going to talk Hitler, 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 McHitler. He says, we have to tend to this garden of democracy or else things could fall apart quickly. That's what happened in Germany in the 1930s, which despite the democracy of the Weimar Republic and centuries of high-level cultural and scientific achievements, Adolf Hitler rose to dominate. 60 million people died, so you've got to pay attention. So is that supposed to be some sort of veiled remark at Trump? Because President Obama does not get to make those sorts of veiled remarks with regard to President Trump after enabling the most Nazi-like regime on planet Earth, the Iranian regime. And yet that seems like exactly what Obama is doing. This sort of political polarization... And the attempts to apparently throw Trump out of power via an investigation that really has uncovered no underlying crime thus far. You want to destabilize the United States, that's the best way to destabilize the United States. As everyone knows, I have tried to be as objective as I can about President Trump. When I think the evidence is bad for Trump, I'll say so. When I think the evidence is not bad for President Trump, I'll say so. What I will not do is humor this notion from the left that President Trump must be deposed simply because he is President Trump. Because that is crap. He was an elected official. He was elected to the presidency of the United States. And all of these dire warnings about Hitler Hitler's rise ignores the fact Hitler's rise occurred because there was a feeling in Germany that there was a, a complete unworkability of the, of the chancellorship and the government in Germany. The dictatorship actually pre-existed Hitler because people were so dissatisfied they kept handing more power to a centralized government in Germany. Hitler just grabbed the reins of that power that is a long process not a short process and so for obama to suggest that we're right on the verge of that and then not look in the mirror at all is uh, is somewhat shocking overall so with all of that said, uh, final piece of news here before we have to before we have to break, and that is that uh, there was an Islamist suicide plot that was foiled to assassinate Prime Minister Theresa May. According to Sky's crime correspondent, it's the latest in a number of terror plots that police and MI5 believe they've foiled this year. I understand the head of MI5, Andrew Parker, briefed cabinet ministers Tuesday, such as the seriousness of what they believe they have uncovered. In essence, there's an extreme Islamist suicide plot against Downing Street. Police believe the plan was to launch some sort of improvised explosive device at Downing Street, and in the ensuing chaos. Attack and kill Theresa May. Uh, Naamir Zakaria Rahman, 20, from North London, and Mohammed Akib Imran, 21, from Southeast Birmingham, are due to appear at Westminster Magistrates Court on terrorist charges on Wednesday morning. So, if President Obama is going to worry about the rise of Nazism, I would suggest that he start by worrying about the rise of radical Islam, which he radically helped uh, all the way through his presidency, particularly among the the Iranian popular uh, among with with the, with regard to the Iranian government. So. With all of this said, with all of this said, uh, I now am going to take a break from Facebook and we're going to move on, but you have to subscribe for that. So go over to dailywire.com. When you do that, when you subscribe to dailywire.com, then for $9.99 a month, you get this, the greatest show in all human existence, live on video. You get to watch it live. You also get to watch the Andrew Klavan show live. You get to watch the Michael Knowles show live. You get to be part of the mailbag for all three shows, and we're doing our mailbag on Friday, as we always do, plus we have something called The Conversation, that's coming up next week, December 12th, and in order for you to ask questions in The Conversation, you have to be a subscriber, it's happening at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern, December 12th, that is called, again, The Conversation, and you can be a part of it, only subscribers ask questions, anyone can watch, but you have to be a subscriber to ask questions, and when you ask me those, I will either answer them or mock you, so you know, see if you get lucky. My conversation will stream live on the Ben Shapiro Facebook page and the Daily Wire YouTube channel. It will be free for everyone to watch, but only subscribers can ask the questions. To ask questions as a subscriber, you log into our website, dailywire.com. You head over to the conversation page to watch the live stream. After that, you just start typing into the Daily Wire chat box, and I'll answer questions as they come for an entire hour. Once again, subscribe to get your questions answered by yours truly on Tuesday, December 12th, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Join the conversation. If you want All of that, plus this, the greatest in all beverage vessels, the leftist tiers, hot or cold tumbler. all you have to do is go over to dailywire.com, get that annual subscription, you get all of those things. Uh, Plus, the Shapiro store will be launching. I think it's post-Christmas now. It just keeps getting pushed back. Post-Christmas 2030, probably. But no, it'll actually be happening in the near future. I know I've been promising it for a long time, but just like the embassy, it's delayed, but soon, but we'll be gratified at a certain point. Uh, so check that out. If you just want to listen to the show later, iTunes, SoundCloud, please subscribe at YouTube. We have a very funny Christmas video that's going to be coming out very soon, so subscribe over at YouTube as well. We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast in the nation. Alrighty, righty so time for some things i like and then some things that i hate so things that i like i've started this series i can't say i'm far enough in it to fully endorse it yet but the first episode is is good and solid it's the series godless on netflix um it's uh, sort of a feminist western uh, i think you can say is that fair mathis you've seen the whole thing uh, okay you've seen most of it right so to, oh, so you're one episode ahead of me. So I don't, I don't. So your opinion is of no consequence to me. In any case, uh, the, first, the first episode uh, is quite good. Jeff Daniels is very frightening as the bad guy. Uh, basically, the idea is that there was this mining town where all the men were killed in a mining accident, and now there's a bad guy coming to town with his crew, and they're searching for a guy who has robbed them, and the danger is that they may come in and kill everyone. So how's this town of women going to defend itself? And the answer, of course, is they will all wear pussy hats. So I have not gotten to the part where they whip out the pussy hats yet, but I don't think that's right. I think they'll actually show up with guns. Guns to defend themselves, making the case for the NRA. The series is godless, so check that out on Netflix. Uh, it is rated R, uh, as are most of the Netflix series that I actually recommend. Okay, time for some things that I hate. So, thing I hate, number one, as I mentioned, uh, is that the, this movie, The Post, is, is coming out. I went to the theater last night. I watched Murder on the Orient Express, which I quite liked, actually. Um, There are some things I didn't like about it, but I liked it overall. Um, And they showed a preview for the post. We're at some point going to actually have to grab the video of the post, but that would be up to me to tell my producers to do that. In any case, um, the, the actual trailer is insufferable. Insufferable, as I discussed yesterday on the show. But now, Meryl Streep and Steven Spielberg are doing joint interviews, and they're talking about all of the similarities between the Nixon administration and the Trump administration. Now, note... There have been zero crackdowns, none, on media under the Trump administration. There's not a paper that's been put out of business. There's not a journalist that's been sued. Nothing. As far as I'm aware, and I'm happy to be corrected, I've seen no actual crackdown. I've seen a White House that doesn't like talking to the press, that stonewalls the press. That was true of Obama as well. The difference is that Obama actually prosecuted members of the press. But here, Steven Spielberg said, quote, I could not believe the similarities between today and what happened with the Nixon administration. I realized this was the only year to make this film. Well, what you realize is that you hadn't made a film that virtue signaled for at least a couple of years, so it was time to make a new one. Meryl Streep talked about what she reads. She says, in my political reading, I read the New York Times, the Washington Post and the Guardian. Shocker. I check in on political, axi- Axios and Drudge, and I go to Fox often to see the manipulation, right? She has to make clear that she only watches because she, she wants to see how evil Fox is. And Spielberg talked about some of the hosts he likes. And he says, I like Don Lemon. I like Rachel Maddow. Shocker. And uh, and there was also, who else he talking to? Liz Hanna, who was the screenwriter. Uh, and Amy Pascal, uh, who is the producer. And uh, Hannah said, the bravery Anderson Cooper has to go into war zones is pretty admirable. And then Spielberg says, yeah, I adore and follow Christiane Amanpour. Christiane Amanpour is the worst journalist ever. Christiane Amanpour is wildly anti-Israel, wildly anti-American. Christiane Amanpour is terrible. But of course, she's very fashionable in the sort of leftist circles in which Steven Spielberg walks. I'm sure it's because he watches Christiane Amanpour that he thought that Munich would make a good film. Uh, and, uh, And then Meryl Streep said, Maggie Haberman also, uh, I also like Maggie Haberman's report. He said, I tend to trust the women. Uh, yeah, well, you didn't trust the women enough to actually stand up against Harvey Weinstein when you had the chance. Uh, so now there's a new report out about how everyone knew what Weinstein was doing, including apparently he was injecting his uh, wing-wang with, uh, with chemicals in order to make it perform certain magical tasks. And everybody knew about it. He was having his assistants do it for him. Uh, so, well, well good, on, good on you, Merrill. You trust the women, but you had nothing to say about any of this stuff for years. So you're a real pillar of strength. Okay, other things that I hate. So speaking of virtue signaling, it seems like all of these pop stars now are coming out and saying that they want their children to be screwed up for life. Like it's their actual goal in life to screw up their kids. So pop superstar Pink has two kids, Willow, who's her six-year-old daughter, and Jameson, her 11-month-old son, who's named after some sort of alcohol, I guess. Uh, She has big dreams for them, that they don't subscribe to the idea that Willow is a girl and Jameson is a boy. Pink said, quote, I was in a school. And the bathroom outside the kindergarten said gender neutral, anybody. And it was a drawing of many shapes. I took a picture of it and I wrote progress. I thought that was awesome. I love that kids are having this conversation. Yes, there's nothing better for small children than being confused as to whether they're a boy or a girl. And they can switch randomly and arbitrarily between them. That's not linked with higher suicide attempt rates. It's not linked with depression. It's not linked with any of that stuff. Gender confusion is really good for kids. It's fantastic for kids. If you're insane, if you're insane... Part of what your job is to do as parents is to look at what your kids are and then attempt to make their life easier by having them develop in psychologically healthy ways. You know, the same people who will say that we need to teach men not to rape and that men inherently have a tendency toward rape will say that manhood doesn't even exist and a man can be a woman. It's an insane proposition, okay? The whole point is that if you want men to be good, you have to acknowledge the nature of men and then you have to teach men to be gentlemen. That comes along with, with a positive masculinity. The same thing is true among women. There is such a thing as positive femininity. Okay, there's such a thing as toxic femininity too, I think, if we're going to talk about toxicity. Toxic just meaning bad behavior among men or bad behavior among women. To suggest that all women are angels and all men are devils is not the case. Okay, the whole point of civilizing your children is to bring them up to be the best man or woman they can be. If they suffer from gender confusion issues, that's something you have to deal with. But to impose gender confusion on your child because you're so progressive is just pathetic and sick. Pink is enthused that Willow told her she wants to marry an African woman when she grows up. Her kid is six. Her kid is six. She's enthused about that. Like, her kid doesn't even know what she's talking about. Like Her kid doesn't even have sexual hormones running through her at this point. And you're already talking like, oh, yeah, that's good. If you want to be a lesbian, just go for it. She's a six-year-old. What the hell's wrong with you? So we are a very label-less household. Last week, Willow told me she's going to marry an African woman. Why not an Asian woman? Is her six-year-old a racist? And I was like, great, can you teach me how to make African food? And she's like, sure, Mama, and we are going to live with you while our house is getting ready. I was like, what the F, who are you? Who is paying for this, by the way? And she says, this is just great. And uh, it is worth noting, as uh, Hank Berrien does over at Daily Wire, that after spending her prepubescent years using ecstasy crystal acid, she came close to overdosing this pink in a club when she was 15. She apparently thinks she was screwed up then, but she's much better now saying, I went off the rails before all of this. I got my bleep out of the way early before anyone knew who I was. Well, why weren't you just exploring your boundaries? Why was that a problem? Why couldn't you just be who you want to be? You want to do crystal meth when you're 15? That's fine. And if you want to be a boy when you're a girl at three, what's the problem? Self-definition. Subjectivism. That's the ticket. And now she says, I'm much more mum than I am at anything else. Absolutely, 100%. I feel bad for her kids, honestly. Kids want lines. Kids want rules. Kids want structures. Kids want to know that there's predictability in the universe. Parents who fail to recognize this bring up bad children. And children, even if they're not bad, who are, who are troubled and have difficulty. Children are looking for lines. They are unformed by civilization. It's why we form civilizations, to make better human beings. But the left doesn't believe that. They believe that you should be able to do whatever you want um, in terms of children. Like, children should be able to do whatever they want. We don't have any role in cultivating them. And then they're surprised when uncultivated human beings end up doing bad things when they grow up or end up being troubled when they grow up. Okay, time for a little bit of Bible. So this week I felt that it was useful to go through the actual portion of Genesis where Jerusalem is first referenced according to Jewish tradition. This, of course is the section in Genesis talking about Jacob's dream. So Jacob leaves 'er Beersheba. This is in Genesis 28, 10 through 22. Jacob left 'er Beersheba and he set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. He took out one of the stones there and he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of the Lord were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord thy God, the, father of, uh, your, of your, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, your, your forefathers. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are standing. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. God wasn't lying. For 3,000 years, the Jewish people wanted to go back to the land. For 3,000 years, the Jewish religion was inextricably intertwined with the very place where Jacob was laying his head. For 3,000 years, the Jewish people have had the same dream as Jacob, that there would be a a footstool for God in Jerusalem and the Jewish people would be able to to live there in peace. That's all the Jews have ever wanted. Thank you to President Trump for bringing that reality closer to fruition and for acknowledging the reality that already exists. Jacob awoke from his sleep. He said, surely the Lord is in this place. I was not aware of it. And He was afraid. And He said, how awesome is this place. There is none other than the, this is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. No one cares about Jerusalem except for the Jews, and that is why Jewish sovereignty over Jerusalem is important. It's also the, foundation, the same Jews that brought Jerusalem forth, brought forth the basis of Western civilization. And uh, we would not have the civilization we have without those words in the book of Genesis, and it's great to acknowledge the legitimacy of those words from the White House. We'll have much more to discuss tomorrow. Lots of breaking news, as always. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Mathis Glover. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire forward publishing production. Copyright forward publishing 2017. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First.